I'm going to invite you to open up with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We have made it through the first five chapters in the book of Romans, and now we find ourselves at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. And I want to just remind you what the Bible says. The Bible says that this right here, the Word of God, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's what we get to look at today. We get to open up this Word of God together today, and it is my prayer that God will have His way in our hearts. Is that your prayer? I would invite us, as we bow our heads and close our eyes and just give this time to the Lord, I'd invite you just to let Him have free reign. Just say, Lord, I'm about to study Your Word, and I want Your Holy Spirit to take it and apply it to my life. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, that is true. We, we recognize that today is not about Jeff. It's not about anybody else in this place. It's all about you. And what you want to do in our lives through the power of your word. So, Father, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would take your word and plant it deep within our hearts. So that, Father, today you would be glorified and that Jesus, your Son, would be exalted in this place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a question today. It's a question that maybe you've heard me ask before, but it has become one of my all-time favorite questions. Sorry. There we go. It's become an all-time favorite question. It's been, a, it's been a question that I've used for years and years. And the question is this, and I want you to answer it in your own heart right now. How would you answer this question? Why do you hate sin? Why do you hate sin? Now, I've said as I... As I've considered that question and used it over the years in ministry, I've had several different answers, many, many answers that fall into some categories. And the first is this. I've had people go, that question implies that I hate sin. <laughs> and some people have to go, I'm not really sure I hate sin. I'm not sure I've even thought about sin. I'm not even, even kind of, it's not even on my radar. I'm just living life as I please, and, and I don't think much about sin. Some have answered in that category. Some have answered in this category. Well, I hate sin because of the consequences of sin. Uh, there, there's, there's consequences that come from sin, and so I hate sin. The, the, the truth, though, in that one is you really don't hate sin. You hate the consequences, right? Right? If I didn't have the consequences to pay, I would love to sin. Right? That, that's kind of the idea. There's a third category that, that answers fit into, and it's this one. And I think it's a legit one. It's, I hate sin because of what it does to relationships in my life. It hinders the relationships that I have with people on earth, and it certainly hurts the relationship I have with my Creator God. And so, I hate sin because of what it does to relationships. But this fourth one that I want to mention is the one we're going to kind of camp on today. And I've had people say, I hate sin because it seems to be a never-ending and constant battle in my life. Can you relate? 
It's like every time I turn around, sin is rising up and it's tempting me to follow it and, and, and to pursue it. And I hate that. I hate struggling with it time in and time out. It seems like it's a moment-by-moment moment battle. And, and so today we're going to talk about battling sin. And I think it's very appropriate since tomorrow is Veterans Day, a day when in America we have set aside to honor those that have served our country, whether in peacetime or wartime, whether they've died on the battlefield or, or made it home from the battle, um, we honor all of those who have served our country, and we give them thanks. So thank you again for those of you that stood and have served our country. That means a lot to us, and we understand and recognize that. But today we're going to talk about a different battle a battle that each and every one of us, whether we have served, in the, uh, served our country or not, it's a battle that each one of us face, and that's this battle against sin. And so I want to I talk about this, and I want to ask this question, how, how are we to deal with sin? Well, before we get there, let me suggest there are two corners. Boy, that's dark, huh? Can you see that? There are two corners, and, 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 and typically two corners fight each other, but in this scenario, I'm saying there's two corners that we could be in when it comes to battling sin, and I'm going to tell you right up front, both these corners are wrong. If you fight sin from one of these two corners, it's incorrect. It's not the biblical way to fight sin. So there's this corner where I think grace gives me license to sin, Right? I mean, we've talked about grace, we've talked about God's love, we've talked about the fact that when I put my faith in Jesus, I am forgiven of past, present, and future sins. It's a done deal. It's a once-for-all sacrifice on that cross that Jesus made for me. I am completely forgiven, so why not sin? I had some high school students when I was a youth pastor honestly come up and ask, in all seriousness, if God forgives my past, present, and future sins, why can't I just go on sinning? And today, the Apostle Paul, in verse 1, is going to address these kind of people. Notice what he says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? See, there are these kind of people that say, well, grace gives me license to sin. And it's kind of that mindset, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. You know, that mindset. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, you do. But there's a second corner that I think is probably more in line with our traditional standing that is equally incorrect, and it is this. I must conquer my sin to please God. Now, certainly God does not want us to sin. I'm not saying He's happy when we sin. But this mindset says, I am so afraid of talking about the grace of God and God's love and the fact that all of my sins have been forgiven. I don't want to go there because I'm afraid it'll give people in this first corner license to go ahead and sin. So I'm going to remove grace from it altogether. And I'm going to say, yes, grace saved me the moment I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But from here on out, because I don't want people to fall in that first corner that grace gives me license, I'm going to remove God's grace now from my life, and it's up to me to conquer sin in my own life. And if I conquer sin, then God must be looking down at me and a little bit more pleased with me. i got to tell you something, and we're going to look at this at the end of our text today. But this is Old Testament law thinking. And let me tell you right up front, it don't work. 
That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross for our sins and raise again victorious over it because we cannot conquer our own sin. I'm getting into it already. But it is equally an evil way of looking and battling sin. I don't conquer sin on my own to make God pleased with me. Because then another thing happens, and we see this a lot in our traditional circles. I start pointing out sin at others. And why do I do that? One of the reasons is, if I show that their sin is worse than mine, then God must be a little more pleased with me, right? I'm doing a little bit better than he or she. I didn't mean to point to anybody over here. That was... That was <laughs> But if, if I can point to them and, and I can see their sin and it's worse than mine, then somehow I feel like God is just a little more pleased with me than he is with them. And that's not biblical. Did you hear me, church? It's not biblical. These are equally wrong ways to battle sin. And so let's talk about this. Because in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is starting into a new section. We said that the Apostle Paul is going to bring up three parts of our salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification happened the moment, by God's grace, I put my faith in Jesus and was saved. Sanctification is right here and now. It's the process I'm here in on earth. Glorification is that wonderful, wonderful day when sin will not be a battle in my life, when I will be at home with the Lord, and I will be like my Lord. Amen. So Paul has talked about justification, and we define justification this way. It is the gracious act of God whereby he forgives the sins of all who put their faith in Jesus Christ and credits to them the righteousness of Christ. It's more than just being forgiven, remember? It's being forgiven of all my sin, but it is also now being accredited, or credited rather, into my account, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, I stand now in his righteousness before almighty holy god creator of the universe i stand in the righteousness of christ before him oh boy that's good news it happened in the past but now sanctification let's define it this way because in chapter six this is what paul's starting in on sanctification it is the gracious act of god whereby he through his spirit and his word is conforming the believer to the image of his son Jesus Christ. Let me put it to you this way. There is this position I have in Christ right now where I stand before God holy. I am a saint before God because I have, by God's grace, put my trust in Jesus and I have been, have been justified. And so there's this positional standing I have right now before God the Father. Sanctification, though, is the practically a practical living out of that position. In other words, if I could put it to you this way, it is becoming in practice the person I already am in Christ. It is seeking to be more like Jesus Christ. And notice what I want you to see. It is a gracious act of God. It's not my own working. It's not my own doing. I cannot sanctify myself. I can't do it. But God is so gracious 
He has given me his Holy Spirit who dwells in my heart, and he is the one that takes the word of God and helps me become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, his son, even here on earth until that day when I am glorified. That's what we're talking about. And so part of sanctification, we need to understand, is doing battle with sin. Because sin continues to raise its ugly head and continues to tempt us to to give ourselves into it. And so now we come to chapter 6. And in these 14 verses of chapter 6 that we're going to look at today, I want us to discover four strategies for battling sin. I'm going to skip through four strategies for battling sin and 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 so notice what paul says verse one of romans chapter six what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound corner one right should we continue in sin that grace may abound it's that corner that we talked about i'm going to sin because i'm under grace and what does paul say ah you probably shouldn't uh you know if you want but i wouldn't recommend no Paul says, by no means. This is very emphatic. It is, it, is, it is understood that Paul is saying that is a ridiculous idea. It is dumb. It is silly. By no means should we continue on in sin so that grace may increase. And now he's going to explain why and the, and the strategies for battling sin in our life. And the first is this. We must renew our mind. Because notice what he says in verse 3. Do you not know? Do you not know? Now, before we can move on and, and actually battle sin, we have to get the thinking right behind all of this. We have to get our minds renewed. And that's what Paul says, and in, in, he's going to say it in chapter 12, verse 2, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by how? The renewing of your mind. Here's the deal. Paul is going to say, you have died to sin. He says it at the end of verse 2. You have died to sin. But see, we don't think it. We don't believe it. It's not something that we think upon. Instead, what we typically think is, I can't help but sin. Sin has such a control over me. I can't can't stop it. I can't help it. Or we get this other stupid mindset that says, sin is fun. (laughs) I can't wait to sin. Those are wrong thinking. That's worldly thinking. Paul says, do you not know certain truths? And overall, the fact that you have died to sin. And so let's look at what he says, do you not know about? How is it we are to renew our mind? This is what we need to know. First of all, we need to know that we... Oh, there it was. Sorry. We need to know that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now stop right there. We were baptized. What? Wait, what what baptism is he talking about? Let me give you an understanding. In the Bible, you see two basic meanings of understanding. These are basic meanings. Now we could divide them a little bit further. 
but for time's sake and for our, our subject today, we're not. But, but we need to understand there's two different kinds of baptism. There is water baptism, which we practice. We have a baptismal behind the screen right here, and we'll have people who are actually put in the water and they they're brought down into the water and lifted up out of the water that's water baptism why do we have water baptism first and foremost it's out of obedience it's for the person who has put their faith in jesus they obey what jesus says and they are baptized but there's many other things that are going on there it's not to save them but it's to identify with jesus christ they're saying i'm identifying myself with christ jesus and his peeps I'm pretty studly and cool, huh? I use the word peeps. But I'm identifying myself with him. But it's also a demonstration of what's gone on in their life. And it's a public, public profession of the fact that they have put their faith in Jesus. And so there's this water baptism that we see in the scriptures. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist, immersed into the river. But what Paul is talking about here is what we would say is spirit baptism it is a a baptism that takes place the moment that by god's grace we are saved through faith it takes place like that you don't feel it you don't know that it's happened you can't tell by just the experience of it happening but the bible says it has happened it means this that the moment you put your faith in jesus and were saved by god's grace you went from being outside the family of god to now being a child of the king you went from, from being over here and you weren't part of God's people and now you are part of his holy people. You were over here and you were not a part of Jesus Christ, but when the Holy Spirit came into you, the moment you trusted in Christ as your Savior, you went from being outside the body of Christ and now you've been put into the body of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 tells us this for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink one spirit we were baptized into the one body of jesus christ and what we need to understand is that when we're baptized into the body of christ paul says you are part of the experiences that christ had when he was here on earth so he says in spirit baptism, we have died with Christ. What? Yes, in Christ, because now as a follower of Jesus, as one who has put my faith in him, I now am part of his body so much that I was a part of that experience. So he says in verse 3, we've been baptized into Jesus Christ and we were baptized into his death. Then he goes further, verse 4. And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Death and burial. Why does Paul make a distinction? I believe because of this. Because burial is the proof of death, right? We, we don't bury somebody unless they're dead. At least we try not to. Right? And, and so burial becomes this proof. Jesus was buried. He was put in the tomb, which was that day of burial that, was, that, that meant burial he was dead it was proof that he died and when we are found to be in christ we are part of that we are baptized into his death we're baptized into his burial it's a done deal but then notice what he says in verse four 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I am associated with Jesus Christ so much that I died with him, I was buried with him, but I'm raised to new life with him. And notice, Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Paul says. The idea there is by the power of the Father. And so the, the, the power of God the Father is what gave Christ new life, brought him to resurrected life. And guess what? It's that same power that exists in us now. Paul says it in chapter 8 and verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him, God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the power that lives in me. It's the Holy Spirit power. And so we have this, we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we were raised again to new life. We have been baptized into Christ. But we also need to know that from that comes another thing. And that's this, we need to know we are free from the grip of sin. Listen, To say that I can't help to sin as a believer, that's wrong. Now, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, that's a true statement. Sin has still got its ugly claws on you, and there's not a thing you can do about it except turn to Jesus Christ. No, really. You can't do anything about it except turn to Jesus Christ. But notice what Paul says for the believer, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And he continues, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, there's, there's a bunch of ideas going on there. Listen to me. He is talking about our old self being crucified. That's the old nature. That's the person I was prior to putting faith in Christ and by God's grace being saved. That's the person I used to be. And the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our old sin nature has been crucified with Christ. So in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So there's this idea of being crucified. The old self was crucified in order that that body of sin might be brought to nothing. Sin used to enslave us as non-believers in Jesus. But when we believe in Jesus, it no longer enslaves us, the end of verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In fact, the positive is true here. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Did you hear that? Now listen, our practical experience is not this, is it? Because constantly sin is in our face. Constantly sin is enticing us. Constantly we are tempted by sin. So you're going, how in the world can Paul say this? I don't feel free from sin. That's why it's a renewal of our mind. See, this is true whether you feel it or not. And what Paul is saying here is you've got to know it, you've got to know it, you've got to know it until you know it. 
You've got to continue to meditate on it. You've got to continue to rehearse it. You've got to continue to read Scripture, and you've got to know what the truth is, whether you feel it or not. See, you have been free from the ugly grip of sin when, by God's grace, you were saved through faith. Amen? It no longer needs to control you. And Paul's going to talk about that toward the end of this chapter. So I'm going to leave that for when we get there. But understand, you are free from the grip of sin. But let's go on and understand this as well. Now, because of that, you have a newness of life. You walk in newness of life. So notice what he says in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We have new life in Jesus Christ. It's back at the end of chapter, or verse 4, rather. We, we might walk in newness of life. And then following Jesus, the one who we've been baptized into, he goes on and explains, verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God. And the idea is the same is true of you. In Christ, you died to that sin. It is no longer controlling or have to control you. Its grip, its ugly grip is no longer on you. You might be tempted to sin, but you don't have to sin now because you have died with Christ. And then even more so, now you have newness of life that includes life without sin. Have I confused you yet? So we have this truth, and what we need to do is constantly be renewing our minds. See, that is why it is so incredibly important that you are reading the Bible on your own throughout the week. If you're just coming Sunday morning to hear these things, you're not renewing your mind. You're getting some knowledge, you're getting some information, and that's good. I want you to continue to come, but it's not the renewing of your mind that the Bible speaks of. You need to read it. You need to meditate on it. You need to allow it to transform your thinking. You need to move from the fact or the the mentality that says, I can't help but sin. And you need to move over here to what is true. I, in Christ Jesus, have died to sin. I've been buried with Christ to that. And I now walk in a newness of life where sin does not have to master me. Sin does not control me anymore. It's a renewal of your mind. That's where it starts. But notice as we get to verse 11, notice what he says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We renew our mind, but secondly here, the second strategy for battling sin is reckon yourself dead to sin. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to consider yourself dead to sin. I love this word, consider. It it means to think carefully about something before making a decision. To carefully think about something before you make a decision. So when I'm tempted to sin, it's carefully thinking about it and rehearsing the things that I'm 
renewing my mind with and recognizing that before I make this decision to sin, i got to go back to the truth of God's Word, and I need to understand these things before I actually give myself over to it. I carefully think. I reckon myself, and especially I consider myself dead to it. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to do it because I'm baptized into Christ. And I've, I've died to that. And now I've raised to new life. It doesn't have to master me. It doesn't have to control me. And, and so we need to think about it. We need to, we need to continue to put it into, into play. And, and so the Apostle Paul is, is going to talk more about this. But, but it's this idea of considering my, this, this to be true. It's, it's renewing of my mind. But this is kind of the practical side of that. Is going, okay, these things are true. Therefore, I'm going to consider myself dead to sin. I'm, I'm going to consider the fact that I don't have to sin. It doesn't have to reign in my life. I can choose to walk without sinning. I can choose to do it. And so we see this idea of, of reckoning. But then thirdly, as we get into the next two verses, I want you to see it is relinquishing myself to God. Notice what he says, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But listen to this. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. There's a negative side there. Do not let sin reign in your life. You've died to it. Don't present the members of your body as instruments of, of sin. Don't, don't give it over to that. Instead, here's the positive side. Present yourself to God. I don't know if you've done any study, a research on how to remove a bad habit. Some of you have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Science says, research says, that if you really want to remove a bad habit out of your life, you replace it with a good habit, right? So if I use that thought here, Paul is saying, listen, don't let sin reign. That's a bad habit. Don't give your members, the members of your body over to instruments of, of sin. That's a bad habit. Instead, replace that habit by presenting yourself to God, relinquishing control of yourself to God. Give yourself fully and completely to God, and therefore the members of your body as instruments to righteousness. That's what he's saying. Relinquish yourself to God. And, and i got to be honest with you, I think this is one of the greatest struggles that we have is giving my whole self to God. Last week we had a few that responded to the gospel. One person received the Lord, praise God. And one person said, I want to rededicate myself to the Lord after last week's sermon. And one of the things that I did this week is, is, I, is I sent off um, My Heart, Christ's Home. Have you seen those booklets? And it's the whole idea of opening up your heart completely holy to God, giving Him every square inch of your heart and, and the view is like a house that you would live in give him not just the kitchen but also give him the living area and give him the bedroom and even the closets give him the crawl space and the attic space give him everything 
That's the idea. Relinquish yourself to God. Hey, listen, I'm, if you're going through a struggle with sin, we need to renew our mind. We need to get it right. We need to understand that in Christ we have died to those things. We now live in newness of life. And therefore, in light of that, I'm just going to consider myself dead to sin. I can, I'm going to reckon these things to be true in my life. And I'm going to give myself completely over to the one who saved me. I'm going to give myself completely to me. I'm going to present myself to him constantly, fully. Every moment of every day, I'm giving myself up to him. I'm presenting my body as an instrument of righteousness for his sake. I'm relinquishing myself to God. Are you with me? One more thing as we get to verse 14. And I'm going to kind of go off here a little bit. So if I yell, I'm telling you ahead of time. I was going to ask for your forgiveness, but I don't care. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But notice what it says in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, do you understand grace? Compared to law? Well, you will. Next week, if you come back, we're going to talk about that. But listen, it is such an amazing thing to realize we're not under law. If we were under law, it means we'd have to be killing sheep all week long. I worked on a sheep farm, and sometimes that actually sounded pretty good. But anyway, we don't have to. We don't have to adhere perfectly to 613 commands in the Old Testament Scripture. We don't have to. Instead, now we can rejoice in the fact that we're not under law. We're under grace. God's grace. He has looked upon us and He has given us unearned favor. He has poured out His love on us when we did not deserve it. And it continues to flow. He lavishes His grace on us over and over and over and over and over again. And some of you who are in that second corner that I talked about are getting uncomfortable right now because you're going, Pastor, you're talking about grace. You're going to give people license to sin. No, 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 no. We rejoice in grace. We don't diminish grace. We don't remove grace. We rejoice in grace because if it weren't grace, we'd still be under the law and then we'd be in a heap of hurt. So we are under grace. You want to do battle with sin in your life? I want to encourage you, embrace grace. Embrace grace. Praise God for grace. Don't end up in the second corner where you take away grace because you're afraid it'll give license to sin. Instead, listen, think of God's grace as motivation to live righteously. Let that motivate us. I don't know if if you're like me, but I really like music. And there's sometimes I will will find a a band or a a solo artist and, and I'm just like, wow, they are so good. And I'm just amazed by, by the music and that, that, that beautiful music, it, it just enhances praise, doesn't it? And it makes me want to listen, it makes me want to be a part of that. Or, or if I see somebody do a good deed, they, they do something really good, it's just very appealing, right? And I want to I praise that. 
I want to I I let that just draw me in. That's the same thing about grace. Only a hundred bazillion times more than that, more than good music, more than a good deed. It is incredible the fact that Almighty God, who is absolutely pure, He is holy, He is righteous altogether, He is a perfect judge, He will judge, and to know that He has given to me His unconditional love. And know that He has poured out upon me His favor, not because I deserve it, because I don't. But he has poured out on me his love, his favor, his blessing, if you will, even when I don't earn it. And that is far more than a beautiful song. And it causes me to want to praise him. And it causes me to want to live for him. You take grace out of it, and your motivation to battle sin has just become absolutely wrong. See, God is already pleased with you let me let me say that again and you need to believe it god is already pleased with you and you go jeff jeff wait that can't be true you don't know what i've done i don't care what you've done it's not about what you've done it's about what his son jesus christ has done for you that's where grace has been poured out And that's why God can lavish His grace upon you because His Son died on the cross for your sins. Yeah, we've all done some pretty horrible things. But praise be to God because He sent His only begotten Son to die for those things. And then to go beyond that and prove that He is the giver of eternal life by raising again from the dead. And it's that power that comes into us when we, by God's grace, are saved through faith. I want you to understand something big time this morning. We cannot stop talking about grace. We cannot remove grace from the picture thinking that it'll give people license to sin. Certainly, God doesn't want us to sin. I'm not saying to go on sinning. Please, you've never heard that from me. But what you have heard is absolute biblical truth that God loves you no matter what. God's grace is there for you no matter what you have done. And this morning, if I could just somehow transplant some truth from the Word of God into your brain and into your heart, it would be this whole picture of grace how much he loves you. And I would pray that if that could get in there, if you could meditate on that, if you could understand what has happened to you because of Jesus Christ, and you would understand how much he loves you, then guess what? You're not going to battle sin to make him pleased with you. You're going to battle sin because he is pleased with you. The motive changes. It switches just like that. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know where you're at. I know that chances are probably pretty good that there are some in this place and maybe you have been in that first corner and and you've been off playing with sin. You've not even thought about uh, uh, not needing to sin. You've been over there and you've just been giving yourself a good old time. And and you're over here and and you're just enjoying sin and, and maybe just hearing this today, there's some guilt in your heart right now. Maybe you're feeling shame. That's not me. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit going poke, 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 poke. But in the midst of that, 
understand that your Father, God the Father, is just like the Father that Jesus told about in the story of the prodigal son. The son. His, only son, or his, his, his own son, rather, went off, took the money, and lived a life of sin. Ended up with pigs, which is typically where sin takes you. And that son decided, I'm going to go back. And expecting to have a father who would shame him, who would look down his nose at him, who would make him a servant instead of bringing him back as a son, he went back because that was better than eating with those pigs. And what did the father do? Out of unconditional love and lavishing grace upon his son who had actually walked away from him, he ran to him with open arms. And he put his arms around him. And he loved him. And he hugged him and he kissed him. And he said, hey, bring the robe. Bring the ring. Put the sandals on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. We're rejoicing. My son's home. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you have been off over here. And right now the Holy Spirit's kind of poking at your heart. Helping you realize his arms are wide open to you. He's not here to look down his nose at you. He's here ready to run to you with open arms and to put the robe on you and to love, love, love you like he does. And so in a moment this morning, I'm going to ask us to do something. I've really been convicted that today is not a day where we just come and we learn about these things and then we leave and, and statistics say five minutes later we can't remember even 75% of what we heard. Today, I want you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you are over here as that prodigal son, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to come forward and, and just kneel at one of the steps here. We're going to have an altar call. Uh, Kenan and Courtney are going to come back up, and we're going to have a few songs. And I want this to be meaningful. I don't want it to be meaningful for me or, 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 or just so that we can say, oh, this many people came forward. No, I want it to be meaningful for you. I don't want you to leave here without getting things right with the Lord. So maybe you're going to come up and maybe you're going to just confess, Lord, I walked away. I've been living in sin and don't even care about it. And I'm coming back to you. Thank you for your arms wide open to me. And maybe you come forward because maybe you're coming forward because you're thinking is wrong. Maybe you're coming forward and confessing, you know, I have had that mindset that because of grace I can sin. Or maybe I'm over here, I've got this mindset that says, I don't even talk about grace. I don't even think about God's grace. I've tried to do it all myself so that somehow God is more pleased with me. Maybe you come forward to confess that. Maybe you come forward because you have never come to a point in your life when you have received Jesus Christ where by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Him. Maybe you come forward for that. Whatever it might be this morning, I invite you, don't, don't, don't leave. Don't leave without making this morning count in your life. Make something happen. You, you can follow the Holy Spirit's leading. It's what we prayed for at the beginning and what I've been praying for in my heart all the way through and what I want to pray for now. So as Keenan and Courtney come back up, let's pray. And so, Father, you know our hearts. I believe that your word, which is that double-edged sword, has been 
probing deep into each life here. And Father, I would pray that right now would be an opportunity for us not to just leave and, and forget about what we've said here and what your word says, but an opportunity for us to apply it. Father, may this be a time in our life of, of, of allowing your word and your Holy Spirit to bring further sanctification in our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, who maybe have walked away from you. I pray that this would not be anything that would hurt, uh, make them feel guilty, but that they would, they would do this recognizing how much you love them. Father, I pray for those who maybe have had a mindset that's been wrong and they want to come forward to just confess that to you. I pray for those in this place who have never put their faith in Jesus. May that happen right now. Today is the day. May they come forward. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.